If you're with me, take your Bible this morning, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I'm excited to be able to preach to you this morning, and I'm really excited because I heard all those songs about an hour and a half ago, and I got to preach this message about an hour ago. God has already put together the whole service today in such a wonderful way. I already had, got to experience it once, and I'm excited to experience it again. Because every song this morning, every scripture reading is special. If you're listening to the message, the words of these songs and of these scriptures that have been read, it is amazing how God has shown His grace to us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We are complete in Him. His robes for mine. He, he traded my robes of sin and wickedness, my filthy rags for His robes of righteousness. Grace is flowing like a river. He, he wants to make us His channels to use us in His work. And in Acts chapter 9, we're going to see that taking place in a very real, dynamic way in the church. There's an important, important message for every one of us today. Because God is in the business of making sinners into saints. God takes messed up, rotten, broken, no good, even dead in their sin sinners, and He turns them into saints. You say, well, that sounds impossible. I mean, I've seen... Pretty good people get better, but sinners into saints, that's a miracle. My friends, it is a miracle. It's something only God can do. But it's something God actually allows you and me to have a part in the process of seeing God bring the change in the life of somebody else. It is incredible to think that God chooses to use us because we're sinners too. God uses us to help do His work. You know, the Bible tells us that if we didn't speak out for the Lord, God could even use the rocks to cry out. God could use rocks to do His work, but God uses us. What a privilege. What a blessing. What a responsibility. I left Ananias at home today. He was here last Sunday with us, but he's home today. But when we left Paul or Saul and Ananias last week, Saul had been saved. God had reached down as Saul was walking on that road to Damascus and he called out to him, and Saul responded in faith and trusted in the Lord and was saved. And then God sent Ananias to lay his hands on Saul. Because remember, Saul saw the bright light of God and he was blinded by it. Ananias laid hands on him and God gave Saul his sight back. And then Ananias brought him then into the churches, into the synagogues where the believers were meeting there in Damascus. And Paul began to preach and began to teach. God began to work and to use him there. But I don't want to get in such a hurry to get into the long-term ministry 
that God is using or preparing Saul to do without first understanding how did God take a sinner like Saul and work to change him to become a saint who served God and God used him in such a mighty way. If we jump over this portion in the book of Acts, we're going to miss a really important truth. Because here's the thing, for many who have grown up in and around church or some who know the story of the Apostle Paul, we look at him as one of the greatest Christians who ever lived that God used to take the gospel all around the world. But today we're going back into the beginning stages of this process that God used in Saul's life to change him from a sinner to a saint. And you know what? We can't see all of our life like we can see as much of Saul's life because we haven't lived it all yet. We're still in process. But I believe God wants to take every person here and continue to change them from a sinner to a saint. And God wants you and me to be involved in the process, not only in experiencing the change in our own lives, but in helping others as they change and grow from sinners to saints. Let's pick up the story here in Acts chapter 9, verse 21. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 21, you follow along as I read aloud. The Bible says this, but... All that heard him, that was Saul, were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. That's a great message in and of itself. But I want you to follow along here, verse 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So there's actually a lot that took place between verses 22 and 23. But all it says here in Acts 9 is, after that many days were fulfilled. That just means there was a lot of time that went by. What took place during this time? Well, we have a clue over in Galatians chapter 1. And Paul wrote about it there in Galatians 1, verse 17. He says this, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So right here between verse 22 and verse 23 in Acts chapter 9, there was a period of at least three years. What happened during those three years. Well, we know that Saul was a changed man after those three years. Now we say, well, his change started on the road to Damascus. It absolutely did when God saved him. And if you've been saved this morning, you are changed from death to life. You now have eternal life. You're on a new path, a new direction when you got saved. But let me help you understand this this morning. You may be saved, but God is still wanting to do His work to continue to change you, to grow you, to become the person that He wants you to be. Saul's change, while his salvation happened in a moment, the process of growth was not overnight. 
If you're in a hurry reading through this passage, you say, well, Saul gets saved and then he's out and God's saving people over. Man, God just, that was a miracle and God just doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. Well, God still does. Understand there's a time, there's three years here that take place. Just because you're not where you want to be spiritually, you say, well, I could never do that or I'm not that far along. It takes time. And in those three years, as best we understand it, Saul spent time with the Lord. The Lord came to him. He helped him. He taught him. He encouraged him. Saul was growing in his faith. His faith already existed. He was already saved. But now he's in the process of spiritual growth. And then he comes back to Damascus. And now he's preaching with power. Now God is working through him. But that process takes time. And some of you this morning may be feeling a little discouraged in your Christian life because you're not seeing the results as quickly as you want to see. It takes time. Why does it take time? Is it because God is slow? No, it's because we are. Right? That felt a little slow this morning. I'll say it again. It's not because God is slow. It's because we're slow, right? It takes time for us to change, to change our habits, to change our thought patterns, to change our, the way our emotions feel about things, to change our situation, to change our perspective. It takes time. Look at the next verse. Verse 23, after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. He's changed so much that the people he used to be partnered with to go persecute the believers, now they're trying to kill him. And so what happened, verse 24, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him him down by the wall in a basket. Saul's on his way to Damascus last week. He's got his soldiers with him. He's got his orders with him. He has permission to go and take Christians and throw them in prison and even put them to death. And now, just three years and a little bit later, Saul's slipping over the wall in a basket to get out of Damascus. What a transformation in this man's life. The same people that he was partnered with, now we're trying to kill him. The same people he had gone trying to kill were now partnered with him to help him over the wall. Isn't it amazing how God can change somebody's life? God can change your life too. The people that used to be your enemies now can be your friends. But let me tell you, some that used to be your friends may become your enemies. There's a real change here taking place in Saul's life. And I want to continue looking at this change this morning, but before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. How would you go about bringing someone like Saul into our church? How does someone like Saul, with all of his past, how does he come and join our church? Because that's what you're about to see here this morning. 
Saul's about to go to Jerusalem, and he, he wants to join up with the believers there. But for this message to make sense to you this morning, you need to understand who Saul was. The last time, before, before last week, but before that, the last time we knew about Saul, what was he doing? He was holding the coats while they stoned Stephen. He was persecuting the believers in Jerusalem so that they were scattering all over the place. That's probably why, and I tried to bring that in the message last week, that's probably why some of those believers were up in Damascus now. Because they had fled from Jerusalem trying to be safe from Saul as he went after them trying to imprison them and kill them. And it's that guy, Saul, the guy, the murderer, the one who imprisons Christians the one who hurts people because they say they believe in Jesus, it's that guy who's coming for membership in the church. Now, we may never have a Saul try to come join our church, but I can tell you we have some sinners that want to come be part of our church. In fact, if we're honest, all of us are sinners. So how do sinners become saints? How do sinners come into the church? How does Saul come and join this church? me this is fascinating because it's real life this really happened you know what i believe it's possible to continue to happen that god can take sinners and he can change them into saints and he can take people with past and mess and struggle and problems and through his power and through his work he can make them part of his church to fulfill his work but you know what we live in a world they say that's not possible people don't really change like that and even if they do, the church will never accept them. How did this church get there? Look at verse number 26. Because we're about to see the problem on full display here in Jerusalem. Verse 26 says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. He wanted to join the church in Jerusalem. They were all afraid of him. And they believed not that he was a disciple. Think about it. When that person comes to join our church, the person that you're afraid of, why were they afraid of Saul? Well, can you imagine if the guy who had just killed your dad came and wanted to join our church a few years later? How would you feel? The guy who had taken your family members and thrown them in prison, he comes in saying, oh, I'm a believer now. He wants to join the church? How would you feel about that? This was not an easy thing for the church. Can sinners like Saul really become saints useful for God's service? To be honest, Saul was the kind of guy, if he came to join our church, most people would say, oh, well, I... I'm glad for what's happening, but maybe he should go find another place to go. Maybe he needs to go start his own church. Don't bring him here. You don't know what he did to me. Saul wants to join the church in Jerusalem. You kind of have to look at Saul. Saul, what's your problem? Don't you understand you've hurt these people? Just go somewhere else. Just start fresh. 
That's the way a lot of people treat church, right? I, I messed up, had problems, I got to pass, so I just got to go somewhere else. And nobody knows me. Saul went to the place where everybody knew him. Everybody remembered Saul. They didn't, or they were afraid of him, and they didn't believe that he was a disciple. There was fear and there was doubt. And fear and doubt will destroy any church, right? And fear and doubt destroys us as people because when we're afraid of things, we, we're not trusting God. When we doubt, we're not able to walk out. How would you go about bringing someone like Saul into the church? Well, put him in pastor's membership class. Starting point class. Next Sunday morning. Well, okay. But what if it was you? How would you bring Saul into the church? Number one, I want to ask you a question. Who are the sinners? Who are the sinners? Who are these sinners that need to become saints? Who are they? Well, let's look at the sinner that's highlighted in this passage, Saul. Who was he? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was one that kept the law, and he had it all going on from a, from a Jewish perspective. He was doing everything according to the law. He was known that way. But you know, Saul was also a murderer. Think about the people he killed. It wasn't just somebody out there that we don't know their name. No, he helped to murder Stephen. Stephen was known. Imagine if you were one of the widows that Stephen helped to care for in the church. And the guy that killed your deacon wanted to join the church. I'm not making this up. This is what's happening right here in Acts chapter 9. Well, that guy should never be allowed anywhere around here. Ne never again. Throw him in jail and throw away the key. Put him to death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a struggle. How do we as Christians wrestle with these kinds of issues? Now, we may never have to wrestle through it at the depth to which the Church of Jerusalem did at this point, but I believe we wrestle with these kind of things all the time because there's always people with the past. There's people with struggles. There's people who maybe have hurt us in the past that want to come and be a part of the church or God is working to change their life. How do sinners become saints? Saul was a Pharisee. He was a murderer. Letter C, he was a persecutor of the church. He'd thrown these people in prison. He'd caused so much hurt and so much harm that a lot of these people had left their homes and families behind and moved away just to get to safety. And maybe some of them over these three years have quietly crept back into Jerusalem and resumed their lives there. And now Saul walks into the church and he's there. But you know, Saul, by his own admission, was the chief of sinners. Paul wrote later in his life in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Verse 12, he describes some of his sin. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before 
I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Praise God for His mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. God is merciful to sinners. Paul understood that. Don't you ever forget it. God's been merciful to you. He's been merciful to me. He was merciful to Saul. And the grace of our Lord, we heard that in the song just a moment ago. Grace is flowing like a river. Paul experienced the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he clarifies what kind of sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief chief of sinners. So who are the sinners? Where are my sinners at this morning, right? We're all sinners. (laughs) I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're all sinners, if we're honest. A lot of times we want to sit in our saint seat. Ah, today I'm more saint. No, we're sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners. Can sinners really change? You know, it's easy to believe someone is not truly a disciple when you know their past. The worse their past, the harder it is to believe that they could actually change. And I would say it's hardest to believe that those can change who have hurt us in the past. Because if you've hurt me, you may give a testimony, but I I still have a problem with you. Boy, that's a challenge for every one of us. Because you know what? They're not the only ones that need to change. So do I. So do you. It's hard to believe that someone could change if they've hurt us in the past. I think that's why the Christians in Damascus were quicker to accept Saul than the believers in Jerusalem. He never made it to Damascus to persecute them. He was on the way, but they hadn't felt the brunt of his persecution like the saints in Jerusalem had felt. And now he's coming to Jerusalem to join this church. You see, we take it at face value that Saul had truly changed, that he was truly saved, because we know the whole story. We know what God did through the rest of his life. And if you don't, all you've got to do is read the book of Acts and most of the rest of the New Testament, because most of it was written by him. Oh, yeah, of course God did all that. What's wrong with those Christians? Why didn't they figure it out quicker? You know, if you could see the end of what God is going to do with every person that He brings through this church, you too would be encouraged about God's power to change lives. But we don't always get to see the end. We're living it right now. It's not always easy to see the change right now. It's it's, It's not easy to see the potential of what God could do with a changed life. You looked at Saul. If you're one of those believers in Jerusalem, you say, yeah, we're excited about people being saved except for one guy. His name's Saul. We don't believe he's even been saved. We don't believe he could change. We're not sure he's truly a disciple. We're still afraid of him, and for good reason. For good reason. So how do we take people we're afraid of, how do people who are sinners that we're afraid of, how do they become saints? How do they grow? Are there just certain people that can grow and others there's just no hope for them? 
and there's hope for Saul. If there's hope for Saul, I have to believe there's hope for you, and there's hope for me, and there's hope for everyone out there that needs to know about Jesus. Even the worst person in the world who's done the worst things to you, there's hope for them too. Praise the Lord. What do you do when somebody comes to church the first time? Do you take into account what vehicle they drove in? Or the clothing that they're wearing? Maybe you go up and give them the sniff test. Are you asking their name so you can do a quick Google search to see if you can find some dirt on them? Or maybe you just don't pay attention to anybody else because you'd rather not know. What I don't know can't hurt me. Maybe you're just so full of your own struggle and pain that you really don't have time to pay attention to anybody. That's the reality for many Christians. You know, if the story stopped here, I believe God still would have done His work, but I think things would have looked very different, much differently than they did. And that's why we have verse 27. Because in verse 26, they were afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. Notice the first two words of verse 27. But Barnabas. But Barnabas. See, God does the work of saving people from their sin, but God uses us as his messengers to share the good news of the gospel. And then God uses us as his workers to help people to grow, to change from sinners to saints. But Barnabas, if it had not been for Barnabas and God's working through Barnabas, we would have a very different story to look at this morning. But Barnabas, what did he do? Took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Who are the sinners? Well, they're us. They're all around us. There are those who come and visit. There are those who attend. There are those who are here right now. We're all sinners. Number two, sinners need encouragers. Sinners need encouragers, but Barnabas. I want you to notice four quick things. Many more could be said, but four quick things from verse 27 about encouragers. Number one, an encourager takes the initiative. An encourager takes the initiative. Notice back in our text in verse 27, but Barnabas took him. That means somehow, some way, he saw Saul over there. He heard about Saul, and Barnabas goes to him and says, Come here. Come here, Saul. Let me take you. Let me help you. He took the initiative. To encourage someone else requires initiative on your part. And it's hard to encourage others when you're walking around discouraged. He took the initiative. He, he saw him over there. He saw his need. He looked at that guy and he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to take him. He took the initiative. 
How do you take the initiative when it's somebody comes in and wanders into church? Maybe they come in, they look a little different, they, they smell a little different, they, they've got a past, they've got a struggle. Maybe you see that person over there and say, yeah, I know, but you don't know what they did to me. No, Barnabas took the initiative. Barnabas was in the church at Jerusalem back in Acts chapter 4. He was here through this whole process. Barnabas had experienced all of these things. Barnabas knew the pain. Barnabas had been hurt. Barnabas had gone through the things that the rest of the church had. But Barnabas took him. And that made such a difference in Saul's life. If you're going to be an encourager, you must take the initiative. Don't expect to be a good encourager if you're not willing to go and start a conversation with somebody else. And the person you're starting a conversation with may not want to talk to you very much. Because they're discouraged, they're hurting, they're struggling. Barnabas took him. Number two, an encourager looks beyond the past. As I was writing this, I thought about wording it a different way, but not to confuse you, but I thought it sounded cool. An encourager looks past the past, right? He, he looks beyond the past. He doesn't just say, well, this guy's got a problem. This guy was a mess. Therefore, he has no hope. No, he looks beyond the past and says, there's some potential if you're going to encourage somebody else, you've got to take the initiative and understand that in every person, because they're created in God's image and God has a plan for their life, that you can look beyond that past and say, with God's help, you can change to become what God wants you to be. And I'm willing to look beyond the past. It's hard to look beyond some people's past, right? Especially when that past involves us. An encourager takes the initiative. An encourager looks beyond the past. Look again at our text. It says that now Barnabas is bringing him to the apostles and declaring unto them. Now Barnabas knows Saul's testimony. I would say it this way. An encourager listens and learns. If you're going to encourage somebody else, it's not just me coming up and saying, let me tell you something. No, you've got to be willing to listen and learn about the person you're trying to encourage. Now, God may have given you the gift of exhortation, and you just come up, let me tell you something. But with that exhortation, you need encouragement as well. Somebody listening, well, tell me what happened. Tell me, where have you been? Barnabas already knew about this stuff in Jerusalem. Barnabas didn't know about all the stuff that took place on the road to Damascus and the three years in the wilderness in Arabia. Barnabas was willing to listen and learn. If you and I want to be encouragers the way God wants us to be encouragers, I believe to be like Barnabas, we have to be willing to step outside of our own comfort zone, to take the initiative, to talk to somebody, to see that person over there that's kind of by themselves, kind of excluded from everybody else. Take the initiative. Look beyond their past. Be willing to listen and learn. And number four, an encourager brings the church together. See this in verse 27, because remember they came, when Saul came, they were afraid of him. They didn't believe him. And then when Barnabas comes, now it says, he brought him to the apostles. This guy that before the apostles didn't they probably want to stay as far away from him as they could. Maybe these secret police. He's trying to get in close, and so he can hurt us. And 
Barnabas, through his encouraging of Saul, now brings Saul to the church and brings the church to Saul. And now, now the body is growing. You as an encourager, God may only have the one for you to encourage, or he may have many for you to encourage. But if you're willing to even bring the one, God still builds his church through that one. And imagine if there had been no Barnabas to bring Saul along. And you look at the person that God's called you to encourage, imagine what it would be like if God wasn't bringing them along. See, you don't even know what God wants to do with that person. You don't even know how God's going to use that sinner in his process of changing them to become a saint. That God may use that one to reach many in his work. An encourager's work is often quiet. It's often behind the scenes. It requires personal sacrifice, transparency, being willing to put yourself out there, take risks in a sense, because now Barnabas is making himself vulnerable to Saul. It's willing to go beyond where others won't go. It's willing to walk ground that others won't tread because they're afraid they don't believe it. But somehow, some way, I think it's through the power of God as Barnabas trusted in God. He knew what God had done in his life. We've already looked at Barnabas before, and we're going to see him again in the book of Acts. Barnabas knew what it was for God to change people's lives. I believe Barnabas had experienced God's power to change his life, and Barnabas was willing to, can I say it this way, take a chance on Saul. Aren't you glad that God was willing to save you? And so many of us are here today also as a result of somebody who was in a Barnabas deal. But some of you are here this morning and you need a Barnabas. And there's some other people in here this morning that need to be a Barnabas. So after or while Barnabas is encouraging Saul, what took place? Well, look at verse 28. It says, and he, this is Saul, was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. The contrast between 26 and 28 is dramatic. In, in verse 26, they were afraid of him, didn't believe he was a disciple. In verse 28, now he's with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. What changed? But Barnabas. God used Barnabas to help this man to change, to become what God wanted him to be. How does God want to use you to encourage somebody else like Barnabas did to be willing to take the initiative, to be willing to look beyond somebody's path, be willing to listen, to learn where they've been and bring them forward to the church so that the church is growing and encouraged. So then we now see this sinner as he's becoming a saint, now he's an encouraged sinner, becomes a faithful saint. This encouraged sinner becomes a faithful saint. God is so good. You know that song, right? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. You know, he answers prayer. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He's so good to me. I love him so. I love him so. 
I love him so. He's so good to me. God, if he's been good to you, God is good to all those who call upon him. If you'll come to him, he will never cast you out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't forget what God has done for you. Notice here these encouraged or this encouraged sinner becomes a faithful saint there with him coming in and going out of Jerusalem. Verse 29, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. Every word in the Bible is there for a reason. He's ministering here, preaching to the Grecians. You know who the last person who was preaching to these Grecians, these Hellenistic Jews? It was Stephen. Saul had stopped Stephen's ministry to these Grecians when he brought him in and he was part of that council and part of the group that murdered Stephen. And now God takes Saul and puts him in the place of Stephen. All right, I said this in the first service and I want you to stay with me here because imagine this, okay? You're in a Sunday school class and somehow horrible person comes in and arrests your Sunday school teacher and kills her. And then the next teacher of your Sunday school class is the guy that killed your former teacher. Now understand they have Sunday school. Okay. God put Saul in the same place of ministry where Stephen had been before Saul was part That's not a miracle. I don't know what is. But see, God didn't just do this without using people in the process. But Barnabas. Sometimes we sit back and say, well, I wish God would still work like he did back then. God's looking for some Barnabases to be faithful in the process. So God continues to do his work of changing people from sinners the saints. God's not done. And God's plan is to use His church and the believers as part of His church to encourage one another in this process and to take people on the edge, people who have a past, people who have struggled and messed up, people who have hurt other people, even in the church, and say, bring them in. They're part of this family. They're part of this body. I have a plan for this person. I want to use them. God did that. God does that. See, encouraged Sinners become faithful saints. How do we see this here? Well, faithful saints want to spend time with one another. Look at that there. We just read it. They were with him coming in and going out. This guy who was their enemy is now their friend. And they want to spend time with him. They want to go with him. They want to be with him. Over in in Galatians chapter 1, it says, He spent 15 days at Peter's house. He and Peter had an extended time as they were fellowshipping with one another there in his house. And before at the mention of Saul, I'm sure Peter's probably looking where he can hide out. Don't you want to see him? Don't you want to be in town with him? This guy was so bad, you wanted to get out of town when he came to your town. And now he's over at your house, spending the night, having dinner, 
That's powerful. Is that just a miracle of God? Yes, it is. But God uses people like Barnabas to accomplish that work. And if we're just sitting back waiting for miracles to happen and we're not willing to be Barnabases, we probably won't get to see these things take place in people's lives. God does that. God takes sinners and He makes them into saints. Faithful saints spend time with each other. Better be faithful saints boldly share Christ. So many people are afraid to share Christ boldly because they're discouraged. They're not really experiencing that life change in their own heart. And they're not going to want to tell anybody else because they might ask me a question I don't know. Or they might actually come to church and see how I really live. I don't know what it is. We're afraid. We're discouraged. When you're excited, you can't wait to tell everybody about it. When you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when grandma comes in, I've got a new grandbaby. She's not worried. Oh, I may not be able to answer one of the questions about my grandchildren. No, she's excited. I'm having a grandbaby. She might not even make sense, but you just know she's having a grandbaby. She's excited, right? When your ball team wins, you run around cheering and excited. And Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to ask you a statistical question right now. What was the batting average at the All-Star break? You don't care about that. Your team just won. And your lack of knowledge in that area is not keeping you from sharing that. Why? Because you're encouraged. You're excited. See, Saul gets encouraged. I don't think Saul knows everything yet. He's still got a lot of growth. Barnabas, in fact, God continues to use him. You'll see just in a minute here, Saul is creating such a ruckus in Jerusalem, going around preaching the gospel. These Grecians, the same one who got offended at Stephen, they get offended with Saul, and now they plot to try to kill him too. Look at our text again. Verse 29, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, dispute against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. See, faithful saints boldly share Christ, but faithful saints also look out for one another. Now these same saints who were afraid of Saul, now they're helping to save Saul's life. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, you can almost imagine somebody in church saying, well, I'm glad he's saved. Glad he got right with God. I know there's some people out to get him. Let's just let it happen. <laughs> right? He, he, he's a bad guy. He deserves it. He has it coming to him. And we'll be in heaven together, but I don't see how we can coexist on this planet. You know, there's some church members today that do things like that. While they may be saved, they may have, they may have changed, but they better never come to We'll find another church. In heaven, God will fix it all. Well, He will. But you know, God can work right now. He's taking sinners to make them into saints. He's changing you. How do you take a guy like Saul and bring him into your church? You need somebody like Barnabas to come along and to take, to take the initiative minister to him.
Old Testament to teach them how to love together. It's interesting, Saul wanted to get in. As we saw here earlier, it said in verse 26, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But he needed Barnabas. I think there are people that want the hope that you and I claim to have. I think there are people that want to get help for their struggle. And we claim to have it. But we don't want to give it out like we should. Because we're not really sure if that sinner can really change to become a saint. We're afraid of them, honestly. How would they do? I'd actually have to watch my kids at church if that was me. Can you imagine? That's okay. This is not a country club. This is a hospital for believers. I might have to be careful about what I say and do for them. That's not a bad thing. Next week, we're going to see a little about Peter. We know Peter is the man that God used to stand up and preach for 3,000. We know Peter, Paul, are two of the main characters in the book of Acts. But I would have to say a close third is Barnabas. Yes, God used Peter to preach to 3,000. God used Saul to minister to many thousands more. But God also needs the person who's willing to minister to them. Don't discount the plan of God for your life just because your ministry is to the one, not to the multitude. You see, there was an incredible change that took place even in the church at Jerusalem again because of the difference in Saul's heart, because of his testimony. Now instead of being afraid and doubting it, now they're excited about his testimony. Now they're excited about God's change in his life. And what? was the result in the church. That's my final point. I'll be done. Number four. Faithful saints experience multiplication. Who are the sinners? We all are. Saul was. Every sinner needs an encourager. Encouraged sinners become faithful saints. And faithful saints experience multiplication. Look at verse 31. And this is the end this morning. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Were multiplied. One commentator pointed out, saying we're multiplied. It's not just talking about numerical growth. 
If our goal is numerical growth, we will do wrong things in the pursuit of the wrong thing because it's not about that. But when our focus is spiritual growth and the right walk with the Lord, I believe if it's true, real, life-changing spiritual growth, it will result in numerical growth. It just it, It's what God does. He builds His church. But notice the spiritual change or, or the spiritual place to which this church had come. And all these churches, not just church in Jerusalem, it says here, the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee. You say, well, their chief persecutor was no longer persecuting them. That's right. And instead of having to be afraid of him, they're now rejoicing in the power of God to change his life. Why did faithful saints experience multiplication? Well, we see the faithful saints were at peace. They were at rest. When God uses you to encourage somebody else, you are bringing God's peace into that situation. You're able to help somebody come to a place of rest. And when that person gets the peace and rest in their life that they need, it brings peace and rest to everybody else around them. It brings peace into marriages, into homes, into church bodies, as people get encouraged and get right with God. They were at peace. We can also see from this verse that faithful saints are edified. They're built up. They're given the tools and the knowledge that they need to be able to live as they should live. They're encouraged. We see thirdly that faithful saints are humble before the Lord. They're humble before the Lord. It says here, they walked in the fear of the Lord. They were walking carefully, wanting to please God in everything they did. It'd be a hard thing to bring Saul into the church. Boy. God does a work to bring Saul into the church, you have nothing to be afraid of now. And you're ready to just step out by faith and do whatever, wherever, however, and trust God and give and trust that God's going to get His work done. You're not worried about anything anymore. Sometimes I think we miss out on the blessing of God because we are resistant to God's work. We, we drag our our feet and dig in our heels and say, no, God, I, I'm praying for you to work, but don't work in that person. Don't change them. And we resist it. Because then I have to change. Because they actually know me. It's a lot easier to help somebody that you don't know somebody. Because you're not really attached to their past. Those you do know, you're like, yeah, I help them, but I know too much. Barnabas knew too much, but he kept on encouraging them, kept on helping them, and God used that person. You see, we have to put ourselves to the side and ask God to help us and strengthen us. When we're discouraged, when we're battling, when we're not walking with the Lord as we should, when we have something between us and somebody else, we're not going to be able to encourage anybody. We just need encouragement ourselves. And you may be there this morning just needing encouragement. I want you to know, I think, I hope, it is my prayer that you've come to the right place. I want to encourage you. But let me tell you, as God has grown our church, I can't encourage everybody at the level at which they need to be encouraged. I can share the truth with you. I'm happy to talk with you. 
I'll go to lunch with you. If you can't pay for lunch, I'll pay for lunch. I want to encourage you. But I'm a human being. And I have so much time in the day. My life is spent on the phone and with people because I love doing it. But I believe God wants you to do the same thing. Not that you have your whole life to spend on the phone and eating lunch with people. But you have time maybe for lunch. You could approach somebody. Faithful saints are humble before the Lord and they are Letter B, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It says, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Many commentators have pointed out it's really interesting how the ministry of Barnabas parallels the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's called the son of consolation in Acts chapter 4, which means he was an encourager. When Jesus left his disciples, or before Jesus left his disciples, when he told them about sending the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. It's so interesting if you do a study on, on Barnabas and his work and his life and compare that to the work that the Holy Spirit does in and through all of us, God, through his Holy Spirit's power, used Barnabas as a, a minister of the Spirit to Saul. Isn't that amazing to think that God wants to use His Spirit to help you do the Spirit's work in somebody's life? That ministry of encouragement, that's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you're struggling, like if I said this morning, who are you being a Barnabas to? Who are you the encourager to? You'd say, oh, nobody. I want to challenge you as kindly as I can. The work of the Spirit is not as strong in you as you may claim that it is. Because if you're allowing the Spirit to work through you in the way the Bible teaches here, you will be encouraging other people because that's what the Spirit of God does. In the comfort of the Holy Ghost. So this church now, these churches, not just one, they're at peace they're edified, they're humble, they're, they walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And it says at the end of verse 31, they were multiplied. Multiplied. God was at work fulfilling the Great Commission through His church as the saints ministered to sinners and as more disciples were coming. Are you a part of God's plan? You are. But are you doing God's plan? Are you fulfilling your part? In God's plan, two questions as we finish. Number one, who is your Barnabas? Do you have one? You may have more than one. That's okay. But who encourages you? There is none of us that are to the place that we no longer need encouragement, at least from time to time. Part of being a church body, if we're going to be a healthy church body that, that's growing, multiplying, we need to know, I need to know who my Barnabases are. You need to know who yours are. If you don't have any, talk with me about it or talk to somebody else about it. Let's find somebody that will do life with you and encourage you. That's, that's, we talk about discipleship all the time. That's, that's what it is. Yeah, we go through a Bible study together. That's a great way to start. 
But that, that's just working through a book. And if that's all discipleship is, then we've really just, that's not where, that, that might be where it starts, but that's not where it stops. It's a relationship. It's encouragement. It's ministry. And Barnabas' ministry to Saul goes on. See, they sent him off to Tarsus. That's where Saul was from originally. Perhaps they said, you know, Saul, you've caused too many problems in Damascus and Jerusalem. Everybody here knows you. Let's send you back to where you came from, and they don't know about all your horrible things that you've done, and you can have a ministry over there. And so Saul goes back to Tarsus. It says it right there in verse 30. They sent him to Tarsus. And then later on, a few chapters later, we'll see this in a few weeks, Barnabas is the one who goes to Tarsus and says, I need to get Saul because we need to use him in the ministry. It's Barnabas again. And then Barnabas brings him to Antioch. And then it's in Antioch that they select out the missionaries. And it's Barnabas first, but they said, take Saul with you as well. And they partner him up and they send him out into ministry. Barnabas' ministry of encouragement to Saul, his discipling of Saul goes on and on and on doesn't stop. See, your encouragement's not, again, just, well, I encouraged him one time, pat him on the back. No, it's a ministry that continues on. Even when Saul was far away, when he was close by, he just kept on encouraging him. Who is your Barnabas? And number two, who are you being a Barnabas to? Who's your Saul? Probably a better way to put it. Who's your Barnabas? Who's your soul? Saul wanted to come in, but he needed some help. You might be here this morning and you want to draw closer to God. You feel like you need some help. I know the scripture says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. We can help you in the process. May we not be a church that says we can help and then doesn't help. Or we say we help and then when it gets a little tough, we back off. We, we don't bring babies into the world and then just sort of say, all right, figure it out. No, we lead them, we help them, we encourage them, we feed them. We are patient with them. It's a struggle. It's hard. We need the Lord's help. But if you're here and you need encouragement, I want to help you find that. But you might be here this morning and God's speaking to your heart and showing you, I could be a Barnabas to somebody. Maybe not to everybody. But there's been somebody, maybe you've noticed, they're, they're kind of on the fringe, they're on the edge, maybe they're in need. Maybe you don't even know their name. You probably don't know their testimony, don't know their story. You've never taken time to look beyond your own little circle, your own group that you're comfortable with. But God says, I wonder about them. I wonder why they're here. Instead of just sitting back and assuming that that's somebody else's job, Maybe like Barnabas, you'll feel the leading of the Spirit in your life to say, talk to them, encourage them, pray with them, hear their testimony. Maybe they're not even saved, and the Lord will give you an opportunity to lead them to the Lord. Maybe they are, but they just need help. 
Would you bow for prayer with me? We could stay here all day and keep going around and around on this. But the reality is I think we're at a point where we need to talk to the Lord about it and make some decisions. The decisions that you may make today may have far-reaching consequences for you and others. The decision that Barnabas made to reach out to Saul had tremendous benefit for the church and for all of us to this day. Follow the leading of the Spirit. If He's convicting your heart this morning about somebody you need to be an encouragement to, it, I hope it's somebody that's already in our church, but I, I hope as well that there are others outside of our church. They need the Spirit's ministry in their life too, and maybe through that, God might even bring them as part of this. This isn't about just building the number of people in this room, but the people here need encouragement too. I want to ask a question if I can pray for you. If you're here this morning and you would say by just lifting your hand, Pastor, please pray for me. I, I hear what you're saying about being a Barnabas, but to be honest, I need some encouragement this morning. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand? I just want to pray for you this morning. Several hands. Amen. 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 Let me pray for you right now. But after I pray for you, I'm going to ask you to help me to put feet to these words. Lord, you see what I don't. We see the outward appearance, Lord, but you look on the heart. And we are so quick to categorize, to judge, to ostracize, marginalize others because of what we know or think we know about them. But Lord, your gospel is a whosoever will gospel. Lord, if that's your heart, then we need to be serious about encouraging those who need it. Lord, there's some here this morning that have been willing even to raise their hand. Others probably who wouldn't raise their hand, but if they were honest, they're discouraged as well. They need encouragement. So give us wisdom. Give me wisdom. You've told me in your word as a pastor that I'm to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's my heart this morning, Lord, to better equip our church and challenge our church in this ministry of encouragement. Lord, we need your help. Chances are some of these people are ones that might get missed. Some people might even think they're doing fine. Help us to put aside our own prejudice, our own fear, our own selfishness, and find somebody we can encourage today. Help these, Lord, that need. And before I continue my prayer, I want to ask one more question. If you're here this morning, has God been speaking to your heart about somebody? Maybe he's placed somebody in your heart. Maybe you're not sure who it is, but God's convicted you this morning. Say, I need to be a part of this ministry of encouragement, ministry of consolation, ministry of help, like Barnabas was. Pastor, would you pray for me that I would be faithful to put feet to that? Find somebody I can encourage. Amen. 
things as well. May we be the encouragers that you want us to be. It's hard to take the initiative to go talk to people that we're afraid of or that we doubt or that we're not sure how we even would fit together with them or connect with them. Lord, it's hard for us because we're humans to see beyond the past. It's hard for me to sometimes just sit and listen, Lord. We're so full of things to say. We need to just stop and listen so that we know the right thing to say. Lord, may you, through the ministry of these even today, who have raised their hands desiring to be better encouragers, may you continue to multiply your church as your work is accomplished. Lord, I believe you've spoken to us this morning. As I said at the beginning of the service, we need to hear from you. May we be obedient now during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name.